Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Manicure is the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, 5522. Manicure is what you do when you want your nails to look good, and it's important to have nails look good. And I believe that we saw yesterday for the first time in history a player in the middle of a game getting a manicure. I want my players to be focused. I want them locked in, paying attention to what's going on during the game, visualizing what's going to happen through the course of the game, executing their game plan. There is no time for a manicure. Now, in baseball, even if the pace of play is slow, you can look at your nails, you can look at the stands. But Madison Baumgartner, one of the great pitchers of our generation, a world champion pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, three rings, I believe, Coca, 10, 12, 14, still pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks, playing the Miami Marlins of Florida, goes to the mound, pitches the first inning, walks off the mound, and what they're doing this year for foreign substances, MLB has this great rule. Do you remember last year when pitchers would leave the mound, you had umpires who were looking down their pants. They were checking out below the belt. They were seen getting a little tushy grab, looking for anything, the Vaseline, the KY jelly, the sunscreen. But now after the new CBA, MLB and the union said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to have the umpires check the hands of the pitcher. That's it. It's like a joke. So remember Garrett Cole last start? He had that little brown spot of rosin and something else on his tush that he kept going to, coincidentally, before he would pitch. Anyway, I digress. So Madison Baumgartner pitches the first inning. He's not happy with some of the balls and strikes that are being called by Ryan Wills, who's a relatively young umpire, been around only since 2020. Walks off the field after the inning, bottom of the first, and he, what the pitchers do, what they're told to do by the union and then by us in team management is you walk off, you put your glove under your arm, you show both hands, turn your hands around, show your nails, palms, and then the umpire checks, smiles, good to see you, see you later. Positive side is that relationships between players and umpires in theory, may get better because they're having a moment. They can talk. They can joke around. They can look at each other's hands. But Baumgartner was in a bad mood. He walks off the mound, shows his fingers to Ryan Wills, and Ryan Wills grabs his hands. And then they engage in a stare down while Ryan Wills is holding Madison's hands the way your hands would be held if you were getting a manicure, which by the way, if you don't go to a shop and get them, a nail salon or wherever you would go, that's fine, but do yourself a favor and make sure that your nails are good because when you're at an interview or when you're at a dinner or when you're talking to your significant other, whatever you're doing, people are looking at your nails. 
Make sure you're not cutting your cuticles too short or biting your cuticles or ripping your nails off. Nails matter. So make, because it shows confidence, right? You ever want to hire someone who's got like bleeding sides of their nails? You just don't want that. They're like, what are you so nervous about? Nervous habit? Take a, take a ball, take a stress ball, take something. Just don't go to your nails. So Madison Baumgartner puts his hands in the hands of Ryan Wills. He had given up a home run, puts his hands in there. And all of a sudden, they're rubbing. They're touching. They're looking at each other in the most loving way. It was the most, and this is not hyperbole. I've never seen this on a baseball field in forever. Decades of watching baseball games, paying attention to little things, watching games in ways that fans may not be. You're paying attention to things that I really don't want to be paying attention, but have to be paying attention to because it's my job. And I'm looking and I'm saying, what the hell's going on there? And then after looking at each other in a way that I'm not sure I've ever been looked at before, that level of loving, that level of care, and just absolutely unadulterated gushing feeling of no judgment, unconditional affection, Bumgarner gets thrown out. <laughs> That's what happened. He got ejected. He said a few words. The umpire stops staring at him, lets go of his hand. I guess that's just maybe a bad first date. Or it's when you have a good first date, then you go to a second date. I don't know, maybe we can do a, a poll with Coca. Like when you go to a second date, and then all of a sudden you look into the eyes, and you're like, ooh, I'm not sure I like what I'm seeing there. And then you get past just looking at the eyes, and then you start hand-holding. Oh, wait, do you like your hand going forward or backward? Do you like the cupping of the hand or the spreading of the fingers? And you sort of have to figure out what each other wants and likes. Do you like being on the left side or the right side when you're walking I'm talking about? Well, just in general. And then if there's no syncopation, you sort of have to look at each other and say, hmm, I guess it's, you know, T-T-M-O. T-T-M-O is a very important part of any relationship, right? Time to move on. So Baumgartner and Wills had gone through their relationship and it was T-T-M-O. He gets ejected, and if I am president of the Diamondbacks, and they have a very good president, his name is Derek Hall, I'm calling Mike Hill immediately. Because when you have a pitcher ejected in the first inning, and you are going for a sweep, they were on the road in Miami. They'd won two in a row against the Marlins. The Marlins came into this series four games over, three games over, thinking that they are positioning to finally be good. They're playing a team that's supposed to be bad. They lose the first two games of the series by one run, and they're thinking... God, we got to get this. That's the mentality when you've lost the first two at home. Just salvage, salvage a game. Get on the road trip because they're going on the road today. That's what we'd always say. Just win on getaway day. If you win every getaway day during a season, you are going to play in October. So just win on getaway day. Conversely, when you've won the first two on the road, you are in the clubhouse saying, don't settle. Don't settle for the series win. We got to take advantage right now. We've got to get this sweep, and we've got Madison Baumgartner. We've got a race going. So he's ejected after the first inning. That means you're into your bullpen. That means I'm on the phone to the GM and to the player development people and to the traveling secretary because we're going to need pitching support because rosters are not expanded. We're going to be using arms. We're getting word to the dugout. Who's going to be used for how many innings? What's going on? How's it going to work? I'm livid. Then I'm calling Mike Hill, who's in charge of the umpires, and I'm saying, listen, I've got an idea, Mike. Fire him. Discipline him. Send him to the minors. And as it stands, Mike Hill would say, hey, I loved working with you for 20 years. 
It was great. We got a ring. But you know I can't do anything about this. We'll talk to him. I'm going to call him. It is the most frustrating thing when people's jobs are not dependent on people's ability to do their jobs. How great would it be for your job if your evaluation as an employee was, hey, you suck, but good luck. Here's your bonus. Keep going. That's really not a good way to run a business if you're the employer, is it? What's the motivation for an employee to get better? What's the motivation for an employee to change the way he, she, or they acts or goes about their business? Just curious. If your actions have no consequences, then why would you even think about what actions you're going to take? There's no reason to. My whole point of leadership is that you've got to make consequences clear and then you actually have to follow through on the consequences so the people who take the actions understand that if they do that again, they know what to expect. As an umpire, you cannot eject a pitcher after one inning. You cannot grab a pitcher's hand, give that pitcher a manicure, maybe some French tips. You know what? Time out. If on the field of play, when the umpires are grabbing a pitcher's hand and they whip out their little vacuum pack, totally cleansed, not sure how that works, and they whip out the, the, uh, the little instruments and they do some rubbing of the cuticles, maybe a little clip, maybe a little French tip. Those are really awesome. If you can do that, you know what? That's a good action with no consequence. Word of the day is manicure. Diamondbacks ended up winning that game, sweeping the Marlins. When you lose a game where the ace of the of the staff that you're facing when you have to get a game and you get that ace out in the first inning and then you don't win the game and then you have to get on a plane to the West Coast, that sucks. The players get on the plane. The Marlins are playing in San Diego, by the way. The, the Marlins get on the plane and the players, they eat and they enjoy the spread and they play cards and players get over it. And I'm sitting in the front of plane losing my mind. Okay. They went up 3-0, down 6-3, and up 7-6, and then lost 8-7. I know. I watched the game. Is that is that an important part? Coco would like you to know what the game cast was of the Marlins losing that game. But, all right, now we know. All right, Coco hurt his back. So get into his Twitter. He needs some suggestions of back exercises. He wants really to produce this show pain-free, and he wants to figure out next what's next on our journey he wants to help our social media he's doing all this stuff on instagram and tiktok whatever he's doing but when your back hurts it's hard to function at all and backs are an injury that i've told you are if you've never had one you cannot talk about it i had never had a hurt back when christian yelich hurt his back and i was annoyed with him and i would talk to him about it like hey you gotta play and he would say i can't move and I said, you know, I'm about to go run another marathon and I'm about to work 14 hours and then go run. Like, come on, Yelly, you got to play. He said, David, you don't know what this is like. Then I hurt my back. And then I apologized to Yelich. And for the rest of time, I will never criticize a player who cannot play because of a back injury. Ben Simmons has a back injury. He's getting a microdisectomy procedure on Thursday. That's today. A microdisectomy procedure is a procedure that, in theory, will take away your back pain caused by a herniated disc. Unclear is it L4, L5, L5, S1, T1, F4, B4, hit, bingo. 
something that in your back makes it so forget playing basketball you can't take a crap right i mean that's the level of pain when your back hurts it's just your whole day's ruined and it got me thinking that i have given ben simmons a hard time and the hard time i've given him is that i thought he was using his mental health as a sword not a shield i wanted him to play when he was traded to the nets i expected him to suit up and be ready immediately and then he didn't play then he was gonna play then he didn't play then he got an epidural which does nothing to cure your back pain it just masks your back pain but i took the opportunity on this platform to explain to you my disappointment in him i'm not sure i use those exact words (laughs) the letdown and him not performing. And then when his back hurt and he didn't play, what was it, game four against the Celtics when they were about to get swept? When it was a game-time decision, I guess, and they were trying to maybe not get swept, whatever the Nets were trying to do, salvage whatever crap season they actually had. Although I'm not so sure they'd be better with James Harden, by the way, who just is not James Harden anymore. What happened to James Harden? He may need to get himself in condition. I think what happened to him is he started believing the fact that he could go out every night and party like a rock star and then still play basketball. Well, if you watch the Sixers play, uh, not going to happen. So anyway, so Ben Simmons doesn't come back, wakes up in the morning of game four and can't go. And I think we did a segment here, Coca, that of course that happened, or maybe I just tweeted it, and I was all over him. Ben, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry about what I said about mental health because I still don't believe that was an issue. And I believe that you just had your feelings hurt and then you held out because you wanted to test your player empowerment and it got yourself a trade to the Brooklyn Nets. But the fact that you're having a microdisectomy procedure, I'm in. Get yourself better because in order for the Nets not to waste Kevin Durant, because he's getting older too, you're actually going to have to play basketball next year. I know that may be foreign to you, but you're actually going to have to play. And he will. He should be ready for spring training. Don't worry, folks. Training camp, not spring training. Come on. All right. I want to... Let's take a break. We're going to come back, listen to some commercials. We're going to review a movie called Hand of God, and it's very prescient given what happened yesterday. And then we're going to give you a little update as to what's going on across the pond. Because what's happening in Chelsea with the Russian oligarch, Abramovich, is pretty funny. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. 
It's David Sampson. Thank you. You rate, you review, you follow. Please tell your friends about us. Keep this show going. It's still going to keep going. Yeah, but it's cooler when more people listen. Get into my DMs at David P. Sampson. Watch videos on various platforms and all this stuff. And we're just going to keep going. Doing a show. 45 minutes every day. Watching a movie every day. I was going to review a movie I watched yesterday with Naomi Watts. And we'll review that. It was called Infinite Storm. But then I saw the news that Diego Maradona's jersey, he's dead. It's a jersey he wore in the World Cup, the quote-unquote hand of God game. It's sold at auction at Sotheby's in London. Hold on to your hat here, folks. 9.28 million dollars. Got that? A jersey worn by a player on a field of play or on the pitch. 9.28. It is the highest selling piece of merchandise, breaking the record of Babe Ruth's jersey. Without getting into whether or not it's a good investment, the good news is it's not Tom Brady's last touchdown pass. So I promise you that Diego Maradona will not wear another jersey. I also promise you that his jersey is authenticated. The one he wore in the Hand of God game. 9.28? It's outrageous. All of that said, I'm here to review a movie. There's a movie that I was told to watch called Hand of God. I watched it about a month ago. And now I got to bring you inside the curtain a little bit. I want to show you on my phone... In the notes part of my phone, I have a note. It says movies. And in that, and I'm showing, go to Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube page. This is all movies um, that I have watched. Every movie I watch, I write down the name of the movie. Then if I've reviewed it on Nothing Personal or I've reviewed it on the weekly appearances on the Lepetard show, I put a star next to the movie. That's how I keep track. If it's a TV show, I put the season down, like F1, The Drive to Survive, season four, star, season three, star, so I reviewed those two seasons. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season four, star, etc. So when I look back, when I first started writing down all movies that I've seen, it was before Nothing Personal started, and I didn't put stars, like I watched Waiting for Forever, and we never reviewed that. I love that movie, by the way. Running the Sahara, I don't think I reviewed that, maybe on Levitard, but I wasn't doing that system. Anyway... Sometimes there's movies from two weeks ago that I've seen, and we just don't get to it because something else happens or I want to review something else. Hand of God is a movie that if you look right here, I watched it after Attica and before Misha and the Wolves. And it's right there, Hand of God, unstarred. Now I'm going to star it because now I'm going to review it. Hand of God is a movie, not in English. Are you ready for the subtitles? You can do it. It's the story of a boy who suffers through a tragedy, a terrible family tragedy, like terrible, terrible. And he's about 17 years old. And he ends up having to be with his extended family. Spoiler alert, why that happens. He happens to have an Italian aunt. It's in Italy. It's in Naples. Who is a Bo Derek 10, who there's some sort of weird nephew aunt thing going on although it's not sexual two ways, only one way. 
And it's the story of this boy trying to figure out how his life is going to proceed, how he is going to find love, how he's going to stay in Naples, what his life's going to be like. Will it be in the movies? Will it not be in the movies? It's an autobiographical movie. And it won Best Oscar for International Feature. Best International Feature Oscar. God damn it, Coca. Ready? Three, six, nine. And Hand of God won Best International Feature last year. It's got the Oscar. So if you haven't seen it, you may want to check it out. Now, Maradona, what does he have to do with it? Why is it called Hand of God? Because at the time, there was a possibility of Maradona joining Naples, joining the national team, the team in Naples. Maybe it was the local team. I can't remember. Whatever it was, it was a Naples team in the Italian league. And everyone loved football so much, which is our soccer, their football. Well, it depends where you listen to this. And so the question was, can Maradona come save this city, save this team? Is it possible, is it possible that this boy's life after this tragedy with the help of an athlete who he's never met, can he find a path forward? Now, what's fascinating about memorabilia and about how memorabilia works is that there are systems put in place by leagues, like Major League Baseball has an authentication program, where on every piece of memorabilia, every ball that is signed by a player, every jersey that's signed, etc., they put a little hologram on it. And the hologram is in a database. So you can go online, you can type in, you need glasses, you need a freaking telescope actually, and you type in the number onto the InterGoogle, onto this website, MLB Authentication Program, and then it comes up with exactly what piece of memorabilia you're looking at. That is one way to prove authentication. Another way is with pictures. Sometimes you take pictures before this, this authentication program happened. It's somebody signing a document and then a picture of the person signing the document and then a chain of custody, which I like to call a provenance. It's where this piece of memorabilia came from, when it was signed, where it was signed, who owned it, etc. Because fraud in memorabilia, fraud in art, fraud in general, why is fraud such a big deal? Remember the movie Lost Leonardo? Remember why fraud is such a crime that is, people love the fraud crime. Why? Because you can make money for nothing. You make a piece of art, you Thomas Crown Affair, right? You make a piece of art, you, you sign your name on a ball. Imagine if I would just sign Giancarlo Stanton's name on a ball. I could do that. I could copy his signature, get 500 bucks for it. And I just made 500 bucks for the cost of a baseball. So after this sale takes place, when someone pays $9.28 million, the theory is that they're getting the actual jersey. Well, wouldn't you know, Diego Maradona's daughter came out after this auction and said the jersey that was just auctioned off is actually not the right jersey. Because the theory was this was the jersey used when he scored the goal that was the hand of God goal. And the daughter's saying, hey, that jersey, he wore, but he wore it in the first half. In the second half, he changed. Sotheby's now had to come out and say, no, no, that was his second half jersey. They investigated it, and they were willing to sell it, and they got $9.28 for it. So, here's the question. Who's right, and who cares? 
The answer is if you buy that jersey, you don't have to care as long as you have not bought that jersey for the purpose of borrowing money against it, showing it as collateral, that you haven't bought that jersey in order to improve the net worth of your family. If you have bought that jersey in order to live with it, in order for it to be a signal of the hand of God, to have some sort of connection to it, then you're not losing your mind as to whether or not it was worn in the first half or the second half. Because you've got his daughter saying it's first half. You've got the seller who was the guy who actually kicked the ball to Maradona. His name was Steve Hodge. He was the one who had the jersey. They did a Dwayne Wade jersey swap apparently after the game. He got the jersey and just decided to sell it because, hey, it's estate planning time. By the way, the seller only needs the buyer to believe you for until the check clears, right? And then prove that, hey, I had no idea. I thought it was second half too. I got it from him. Just be careful out there. There's so many people trying to rip you off. It's just everywhere. And I don't want to be Mr. Cynical, but I just want to point out that when you are buying something, whether it's a car, you know when you buy a car, you have to sign the lemon law document, right? If in case you have a lemon, just be careful. But I'll let you do something for under $9.28 million. Go watch Hand of God. All right, what about Robin Abramovich? Abramovich, Abramovich. Roman Abramovich had all of his asses frozen. He is not a very popular man around the world right now, but he owns a really popular asset. Go back to previous Nothing Personal episodes. We've talked about the sale of Chelsea. And one of the things that we talked about day one was his ridiculous statement which Coca will find and pull up and put on social media, I'm sure, at some point, where he said, and I'm quoting from my brain, not from his mouth, but the essence of the quote was, hey, I'm not going to take a penny of net proceeds from this sale. And I don't need my loans paid back. I loaned, I loaned, I lent, loaned, loaned about two bill to the team from a holding company. Don't worry about it. I'm all about taking care of the people from Ukraine. And I said, horse hockey. You think Roman Abramovich is selling the Chelsea Football Club? The most expensive, biggest asset, a multi-billion dollar asset, and he's not going to take any proceeds when the other of his money's frozen and he still has all of this cost of living? Come on. And I was told, David, you don't know anything about this. This is serious. The Russians have invaded Ukraine. We are going to get those oligarchs. He's not going to get any of his money. And here's what's better. He's trying to apologize, Dice, and say, I don't want the money. Okay. So they go into a process. They're trying to sell Chelsea. Bunch of bidders. Everyone's excited. They're jumping all over themselves. One billion, two billion, three billion, four billion. No problem. Todd Bowley gets the exclusive right of negotiation. I want to tell you what that is just for a moment. When you get, when you're in an auction situation, there's four or five different groups of bidders. What you do as a seller is you say, okay, because every group who's bidding wants to have the exclusive right. Why do they want the exclusive right to negotiate a deal? Because they don't want you to use one group against the other. So when you are selling something, you only give an exclusive right when the person or the group getting the exclusive right has already hit the bid that you want, and the exclusive right is to just cross the I's and dot the T's. 
Of course, you could dot the I's and cross the T's. It's totally up to you. You try doing this for 45 minutes and getting I's and T's straight. I'm sure people could, actually. So Todd Bowley was up against, remember, remember way back in the day, what was it, like six months ago, when the owner of the Cubs, the Ricketts family, they were separating themselves from their father, the racist, they were flying over, they were meeting with all the Chelsea supporters, I promise you that we're going to always take care of you, I promise that we're never going to leave Chelsea Stadium, I promise that you're going to have a seat at the table, blah, 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 and I laughed, what a joke, yeah, the Ricketts dropped out, so now it's Bowley's group, he's one of the owners of the Dodgers, not that that matters. What matters is that he made a bunch of promises and that he has an exclusive right to finish a deal. And the government in the UK wants this deal done by May 31st. It's being led by an investment bank called the Rain Group. Now that they're an exclusive window, that means that they're going through provisions. There's an issues list. My guess is there's about 275 issues that they're going through because the devil's in the details when you're negotiating a purchase sale agreement. But then what happens when you've got a seller who in the middle of an exclusive window says, listen, one more thing. I'm going to need you to blank. Now, when we're selling a baseball team, we keep a list of the we're going to need you to blank because you've got good leverage during an exclusive period because should the exclusive period run out and the person who's trying to buy it doesn't get it, then you can then go to the other groups and say, listen, you were willing to outbid that group and I didn't think you had a chance. You know what? I made it so you do have a chance because I added a few things in the, hey, I'd like you to do blank list. So Abramovich came up with his, I'd like you to do blank list. And would you believe... It was, I actually would like you to pay me my $2 billion back. (laughs) I couldn't believe it when I read that. It was pretty good, right? All the talk of him, oh, I'm going to start a foundation. Oh, I'm going to take care of all these Ukraine refugees, and I want to make things right because I know I've gotten rich by making things wrong. I don't want to be looked at as an oligarch. I want to be just your grandpa. Just let me... Let me go and live my life. But I don't need that money. Don't worry. I love you, Chelsea. You've been the best part of my life. He's got a little tear in his eye because he turned around and put eye drops in his eyes right before the scene was being staged, right before the press conference, right before the statement was released to the media. There were little tears on the paper, so some of the ink was running because he wanted everyone to love him so much. But then when it came to nut-cutting time, it's closing time, semi-sonic. He then says, hi, it's not that I want a suite for four games or tickets for my family or an autographed Maradona jersey from the second half of the Hand of God game. I want $2 billion back. If I'm Todd Bowley, I say, hey, Roman, LMA, S-Y-L, see you later. The problem is that Todd Bowley looks at his partners and says, if we tell him to LMA and we walk away and lose this exclusive negotiating period, there's a bunch of rich people who have groups together. They're going to give him his $2 million bucks back on top of the purchase price. And then what? Then we got to go back to just being the normal schnook who only is worth several billion and runs the Dodgers? Come on. It will be fascinating to see whether or not
Todd Bowley gives in. But his exclusive window runs out soon. They got to get this deal closed. So look for action in the Chelsea auction. Say that five times. Look for action in the Chelsea auction. You should look for action in the Chelsea auction. There will be action in the Chelsea auction soon. Here's where there's going to be action. How did the Mavericks lose by 20? Darn it, dang it. We're now 56 and 43 in the pick of the day. Mavs were plus six versus the Suns, and they lost by 20. We needed them to be plus 21. Didn't quite happen. You know, I, I keep, every time I think Chris Paul's old, he's not. I love that when players do that. I love when you could walk into a clubhouse after a game and there would be one of your veterans or someone who you knew didn't have a lot left in the tank, but every once in a while they could get their body together. Think of this guy. Oh, my God, this is perfect. Are you on YouTube? Nothing personal with David Sampson? Think of Jake Taylor. This is an autographed Jake Taylor card signed by Tom Berenger. I want you to think about Jake Taylor when he's running down the line after he laid the swinging bunt down in the final game of Major League to make the playoffs. And he's running and his knees are falling off and he can barely make it. That is what I'm talking about. When you can walk in after a game and you know that you've got someone like an Albert Pujols who tries to score from first on a double and you just smile. That's sort of the feeling I get and what I thought Chris Paul was. But I was wrong. Chris Paul is a legitimate, everyday star in this league still. There was a playoff game like two games ago. He didn't miss a shot. He went 14 and 14 from the field. Well... My days of counting out the Phoenix Suns are over. I thought the Mavs were going to be better, and they weren't. All right, pick of the day today. There's no NBA playoffs. Tonight is the night to get your sleep. There are no West Coast games. For those of you who stay up watching the West Coast games, when you're on the West Coast, that's an East Coast game. But when you're on the West Coast, you don't have to ever worry about time of games, which I love. That's one of the great things about living on the West Coast, which I can't say I've lived on the West Coast, but traveling to the West Coast. East Coast, those West Coast games, they suck. I mean, for people who need to sleep. So the games are ending at 12.30, 1 o'clock. By the time you watch Shaq make fun of Barkley, then you're going to bed at 2.30, and then you're waking up at 3.30, and you're starting to work on your show. Tonight is your night to get some sleep. So we're going back to baseball. So in my experience, there's something that happens after you get swept at home and get on an airplane and fly to the Gaslight District. My experience is, without a day off, you don't win the game. Padres over the Marlins. I wanted to give you that pick. I was supposed to give you that pick. I'm sorry, Coca. That pick was supposed to be given after we did the Madison Baumgartner manicure segment. All right. I screwed that up. But the pick of the day is the Padres over the Marlins. Okay. You know we do this, and you hear me correct myself, right? when I do things out of order by accident or Coco wants me to, he's yelling at me to say something that I haven't said or when I say something wrong and he tries to get me to correct it and then I don't hear him. And then he writes something in the document. All of this is going on during the course of a show. But what we release to you is 45 minutes of mana from heaven, right? Because you're getting to see behind the curtain and you're getting to see the five foot five Oz, right? This is just me. This is just Coca. This is just us doing our show. I make mistakes. And I love it when you get on Twitter at David P. Sampson, get into my DMs and tell me mistakes I've made because I'm going to correct them. 
I'm not that guy. I'm not the one who tells you, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm always right. Oh, I just listen to my hot takes. Pay me $10 million and listen to my hot takes. Oh, I'm wrong? So we were talking yesterday about mentoring, the start of our show. I Actually, I don't even remember if we let off with this, Coca. I just know that we did a segment on Ryan Tannehill. And the segment was about the fact that he didn't want to be a mentor to their new quarterback, Willis. I think I called him Dontrell Willis yesterday. Obviously, they didn't draft Dontrell Willis. I think it may be Malik Willis. But in any case, I used an example of quarterbacks who did not have an opportunity to be mentored because Ryan Tannehill said, I don't want to mentor this guy. And I gave Eli Manning as the example. And you guys pointed out that Eli Manning did have a mentor, even though he was not a mentor to Daniel Jones. Turns out Eli Manning should have had better behavior with Jones because he had better behavior modeled to him because Kurt Warner absolutely mentored him when Kurt Warner was on the Giants and Eli Manning was getting ready, was obviously going to be the the Hall of Famer who he became. And by the way, Kurt Warner came out and actually criticized Tannehill for not mentoring. But thank you. I appreciate that correction. All right, Coca. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is from the movie called Half-Baked. We just got the April numbers, so thank you. I would only tell you that if you haven't listened to the show and you're new to the show, this is a segment we do called So You Want to Talk to Samson. That is when you actually get into my DMs at David P. Samson and ask a question. When the show was just starting off, it was way easier for me to answer everything. Now, I really have to figure out how to change the colors because now it's blue galore. It's just blue, and I used to be able to have no blue, and my sort of brain works that I want just responded to things. So it goes from blue to white. And when I see blue, I get anxious. It's sort of like the numbers on your phone. And now I can't keep up. But I promise you I try. Hey, David. Hey. Oh, sorry. So you want to talk to Samson. I have to explain it to the new listeners. It's from a movie called Half Baked. Half Baked is a movie with Dave Chappelle. Did you see Dave Chappelle get beaten up on stage yesterday? Can we take a minute on that, Coca? Dave Chappelle was doing a set at the Hollywood Bowl and someone rushed the stage with some sort of weapon that looked like a gun but had it was really a knife. Tackled Dave Chappelle the way Will Smith went after Chris Rock, except way worse. Dave Chappelle took the tackle. Security came running on stage. They basically took the guy away and beat the crap out of him and Dave Chappelle kept going. When what happened at the Oscars happened, I remember saying to you that this was an issue because you can't have performers worried that there's going to be any sort of problem on stage, which means you have to increase security, which means expenses go up, which means ticket prices go up. So one act, selfish act by Will Smith, and all of a sudden it's going to impact you and the price that you pay to go to an event. It's just... I'm not angry about that. So anyway, Dave Chappelle's in a movie called Half-Baked. Half-Baked, there's a character named Samson. People go to Samson, and they want to talk to him. So ask a question, I may get to it. Especially if it's on a topic I want to talk about, or Coco wants to talk about. Hey, David. Hey. Hey's for horses. That's what I was taught at Horace Man. You don't say hey. 
Except it's spelled differently. I never really understood that. Hey, David. Hey, what's shaking? Can you explain the logistics of a full team staff traveling internationally like London, Mexico City, and Germany? How would that phone call go from the league? And what are the costs and benefits for the teams involved? What say would owners or presidents have, if any? And would you have accepted such an offer? Thank you. Do you know what yesterday was? It was the schedule reveal. The Giants are going to London to play the Packers on October the 9th. Guess where nothing personal will be? On October 9th. Yes, I'm going to London. I love the Packers. I love the Giants. I love the Packers more. I used to love the Giants more. I absolutely love the Giants. When they wide right Scott Norwood, one of the top five moments of my sports life. The day the Giants beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl, that was a memorable day. Yes, Medford, Massachusetts, wink, wink. Some things are secret. So I've always had a thing for the Giants. But my whole family, my dad, my, my late dad, loved, loved, loved the Packers. My uncle, my cousins, my siblings. So it's time to go to London and watch the Packers and the Giants. The Packers were the last NFL team to play an international game. Let me go through the math here. The reason the Marlins played international games, and we love to play international games, we wanted to play international games, and the reason MLB wanted us to play international games is that to replace our gate was a far smaller expense than to replace the gate of a team that sells out. So the way it works is quite simple. Every team submits to the league a P&L game day. So this is what we make. This is what we expect on a Friday game, a Saturday game, a Sunday game, whatever the game may be, whatever the day of the week is. This is the amount of ticket revenue we have. This is our F&B, food and beverage. This is merchandise. This is parking. These are our expenses. This is our net from a game. When you get 30,000 people, I was going to say $30,000. When you get 30,000 people, you can have a net of $10 million. $5 million, $1 million. You can have a net of $50,000. It all depends on what your ATP is, your average ticket price. It matters how many people actually buy tickets. All the giveaway tickets, you can count if they buy a beer, but not the price of the ticket because they didn't pay for the price of the ticket. So you go to baseball, and what we would do is we'd go to the commissioner and say, here's our P&L. Don't ask our actual. We're showing you what we are budgeting for next season for that particular game against the San Diego Padres on a random Wednesday. Baseball would say, you think you're getting 20,000 people? And we'd say, yeah, why do you ask? And they'd say, you mean 20,000 actual people? And I'd say, I didn't say actual. And they'd say, I'm not sure that we're going to get to that number. And I'd say, can you get close to that number? And they'd say, I can get half that number. And I'd say, that sounds like a profit. And they'd say, let's go to the promoter. The promoter are the people hosting games in the Dominican or in Mexico City or in Japan or anywhere or in London. They are paying baseball for the right to host major league regular season games or exhibition games. There are broadcasters, international broadcasters, who pay for the right to broadcast baseball during the course of a season. 
So MLB International, one of its functions, and I was on that committee, is to go make deals in different parts of the world under the theory that we're growing the game. If we get people to watch games in London and we don't just give London to the NFL, then it's possible we'll build baseball fans in London or baseball fans in India, China, Japan, wherever we're going, and that that will be additive to our bottom line as an industry. The promoters who are paying MLB for the games want the best teams to come, like the Yankees or the Red Sox. The Yankees or the Red Sox don't want to come because MLB is not willing to pay them to actually replace their entire gate. And so for them, they are not profiting by going the way they would profit by staying. As a result, baseball has to beg, plead with the Steinbrenner family to get the Yankees to do these things. And they do it under the theory of take one for the team because you're tied Your ship will rise with the tide. And we've got to get more international money in hand. And the way to do it is by giving them our best product, our most famous product. And that's you, George. That's you, Hal. They love the pinstripes. So we got to play a bunch of international games and it was good, but not like the Yankees. The Packers never wanted to agree because they never wanted to give up a game at Lambeau. The local economy is way too impacted if you lose a game. Well, wouldn't you know it, This is the year that the Packers would have had nine home games. And so they can go to the Packers ownership, which is really just Mark Murphy representing all the public owners and say, all right, it's your turn. You're the last team. You got to go. And the Packers had no chance to say no to it. So the Packers knew in advance that this was happening. When you are playing internationally, your traveling secretary is doing much of the same work that he or she or they do when you are traveling to San Diego for a road game or when you're traveling to LA or to Philadelphia. You are working to get hotels. The difference is that when you're going internationally, MLB or the NFL commissioner's office is going to get involved to help you because they have pre-cut deals with official hotels that are going to house the teams. They've got pre-cut deals on airliners. If the team doesn't have its own charter, they are cutting a deal for a special kind of international plane, better plane than the ordinary plane that teams use just to get around domestically so players can lie flat when they're traveling internationally. There's greater meal money that is given to players for international games. So there are things that are spelled out in the CBA that make it sometimes better for the players, sometimes better for the owners, sometimes better for both, but in all cases, better for the league. So from a logistic standpoint, players don't view it any differently other than obligation. So I wanted to mention that before I go today. And so the reason why players don't love going internationally is when they're playing a domestic game or a home game or a road game at home domestically, they just go to the game, they go about their business, they don't have to do anything. When teams go internationally, they've got to make appearances. They've got to go to clinics. They've got to do things that the promoters tell baseball or tell football. We've got to have this stuff done because we're trying to build the band. We're going to do build the brand. We're going to do a signing. We're going to have you come to a store. We're going to have you meet the queen. I mean, not really, Who? no one's going to meet the queen, but that's the example. So players say, all right, 
They go to their traveling secretary, then they talk to their agents, give me my schedule. I want a very detailed, when are the practices? When am I gonna get sleep? Where am I gonna get food? Does this hotel room service? Is there anything about this international place that I have to know that when you call something fries, are they not fries? If I order an egg, because I love eggs, is it gonna come poached when normally it would come scrambled? Like, what do I need to know that could make my routine different? Because players, when they go internationally, get annoyed. Owners, when they go internationally, are super pumped up because it's just business. See in London, folks, it's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.